With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Jaguar Report podcast for the first time and can't exactly put a date on it. Uh, but, you know, be honest, the grind of the season, uh, you know, the, the training camp offseason and the Urban Meyer era in general you know, <laughs> kind of brought things to a halt. But I am back with my friend and co-host Gus Logue. Gus, how you doing, my man? Doing great, John. Uh, it's definitely been a long season so far and also short at the same time, but it's great to hear her voice and be back on the airwaves. <laughs> it was, was my voice something you were missing over the first month of the season? Oh, desperately. Yeah, well, I, I, I get that. But, you know, I, we remain committed to our bit of uh, not recording until they won another game. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, here, exactly. here, here, here we are now. You know, they're fresh. That was the only reason. Yeah, that, that was the only reason. You know, we, we showed some tremendous self-discipline there. But. We are back. You know, Jaguars are fresh off a 23-20 win in London. That, I mean, I mean, what, 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 let's be honest, felt like, you know, for a lot of reasons, like kind of felt like, you know, a giant like game for them, even though, you know, it was against a awful Dolphins team that they had to come back against, et cetera. You know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe not a great win, but first win in over like first win in 13 months. That's massive. So the things have definitely, I feel like, kind of changed vibe wise uh recently Gus would you say that for sure yeah I'm looking forward to our next podcast in another 13 months but (laughs) (laughs) uh no I definitely think that uh everything changed a little bit like Urban is kind of the brought the winning mindset and so once they were finally able to get one in the tally board uh hopefully they'll have a little bit momentum now coming out of a bye week but it was was just funny because they kind of beat themselves up over the first five weeks of the season mostly with turnovers and a lack of turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. But in terms of penalties and decision-making and play calling and everything, they kind of just beat themselves more than they other teams won almost. Um, and so it was nice to see that they finally faced a team that beat themselves more than the Jaguars did. They were able yeah. to come out with the win. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at the Jaguars' first five games and they only had one loss that was a close game, you know, the loss to the Bengals. But – I felt like there were at least two where, you know, they were just a couple bounces away from it, either being a close game or them having a chance to win. You know, with the Tennessee and the Arizona game, I feel like both those games are kind of closer than the final score would indicate, you know, just on my first snap to last snap basis. So mm-hmm. I, I'm with it, it felt like a win was coming uh, uh, like soon ish. Uh, I'm, I'm not overly, you know, surprised it happened to Miami, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I got to say, you know, we'll, we'll get right into, you know, Urban Meyer, but. It took until week six, but I think Urban Meyer officially outcoached an opposing NFL coach. And that, that was somebody like asked me after the game because I tweeted that. They were like, How can you as a media member really say someone got outcoached? Well, I feel like Urban Meyer was 
I comfortably feel like he was a better coach than Brian Flores on that Sunday in London. Moving forward, who knows? But that that was just an amazingly it, – it, it was like somebody in Madden who, like, didn't exactly know the rules and they were just getting frustrated by their lead, you know, quickly decreasing. I, it, 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 it felt like the perfect storm, you know, for the Jaguars to get that win in London. You know, Matthew Wright, uh, you know, the penalties, the big stop, and then Brian Flores just going complete galaxy brain. Right. Yeah, it was kind of just – everything was going a little bit upwards for the Jaguars and sort of cutting down on turnovers. Trevor was doing a lot better week to week. And then for Miami, everything was kind of going down because we've heard so many good things about Flores. But, I mean, the the Dolphins only win of the season. What is, what yeah, my, Miami stage? stinks. Yeah. Miami yeah, stinks. Stink. Their only win of the season was against uh, the Patriots and Mac Jones' first career start. So it's definitely been a little bit of a downward spiral for them. Like, I'm not even sure, like, you know, I don't care how autopsic this is, but, like, I feel like Chris Greer for, like, at least the last two years on social media was completely lauded for his ability to stack assets. Uh-huh. And I feel like he has just missed, that, like, every single turn. Like, like even, you know, and I, I love Jalen Waddle. I think Waddle is going to be, uh, you know, a good player. I think he already is a good player. But, I mean, you look at all the teams, like, in the top 12 and, like, the ones who didn't take a quarterback – they're all stoked, you know, like Jamar Chase and the right. Bengals, they're happy. Kyle Pitts and the Falcons, uh, Sertan, Michael Parsons, and the Dolphins are over here like, okay, we got a quick receiver, not doing anything <laughs> at all to help us. Yeah, and he has an average A dot of, like, two. It's ridiculous. Like, I've, I feel like you Waddle. do where I really like Waddle, but t- trading two first-round picks uh, is pretty brutal yeah, to should get just someone take, like that. Should just take in Chaser. Uh, pits in hindsight and you know fields. yeah and hey you know while we're talking in hindsight I, i'm gladly you know I, i've seen many of people you know who are hesitant to take l's on prospect takes i'm gladly already taking my l on jamar chase i am um, yeah. I, I i i believe i tweeted saying he caught a case of the nelson Aguilors during the preseason so oh, come uh, on, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i, I also like Aguilar. i even i even published that i thought uh Zach Taylor would be the first coach fired. So taking my L on the Bengals in general. Yeah, no, same here. That, that is what we've missed since we recorded. <laughs> Pretty much just the Bengals are quietly a top 10 team in the league, which kind of doesn't make any sense. But that's, that's the way of the world, I suppose. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And, you know, just hopping right into, you know, things that don't make much sense. It has been an interesting uh, first seven to eight weeks for the Urban Meyer regime in terms of the regular season. Just looking from where the Jaguars were in week one, where you and I both talked about it, they were – I mean, they, they in week one, I thought that was one of the worst just top-to-down organizational and coaching performances you'll see like because, like, they couldn't even line up right on both sides of the ball. And even on special teams, you know, they were lining up wrong. Just coming from week one to now, you know, do you think Urban Meyer has made any kind of strides as a head coach? Like, do you see, like, value basically in him in that role yet? Or is that something that, you know, is going to be hard to answer until after, you know, the season? I know six games isn't exactly a big sample size. Yeah, I would say more so the latter, where it's kind of hard to tell right now, just because he's been – he's trying to bring a winning culture to one of the losingest franchises in NFL history – let alone just the past decade. Um, and so it's nice that he was able to get one win up, 
but uh, I think until we see more results and more wins, it'll be kind of hard to tell. I think he's been, like you said, like week one at the beginning of the season was a little rough. And maybe you can chalk that up to Urban being a first-time NFL head coach. Um, and it's improved since then. But I think a lot of his decision-making has been questionable, to say the least, whether it's personnel decisions or personal decisions. Uh, but just, like, between coaching hires – yeah, you like that one? <laughs> between coaching hires and then, like, kind of a homer draft and an underwhelming free agency and then – whatever it was that happened in Ohio there's been kind of just a lot going on and it's been quite an experience but when you're looking solely at just him as an NFL head coach as like the CEO type or whatever I think it's been fine so far but we still need to see yeah no absolutely and you know that, that that was one of the main things I actually wanted to ask you about you know not in terms of the whole you know Ohio came in Nebraska type thing <laughs> but in, in terms of you know, his decision-making on field, you know, we know at, at the end of the day, you know, Urban's probably going to be Urban and there's going to be some baggage that comes one way or another, but, you know, strictly as an on-field coach, what are, what have really been your thoughts on like his kind of in-game decision-making, you know, m- making those key fourth down calls, uh, you know, deciding when and when not to challenge. I, I, I honestly thought, thought, you know, just from an objective point of view, his challenge against the Titans was the funniest thing I've, I've, I've ever seen, like, a, a challenge. Watching, it was like watching, like, an episode of Friday Night Lights where they're all trying to, like, hype up Coach Taylor <laughs> or something. It literally seemed like we were watching just, like, yeah. some kind of and, fictional show. And I would have challenged it, too, but it was just – it was so funny to me how it happened. But just yeah, overall, what, what are your thoughts on him, really, as an in-game coach? Because, uh, you know, we'll go over his personnel decisions, too, but we're mostly, you know, lockstep in there. I'm interested to hear what you think about the value he actually brings in terms of making decisions, you know, in between those 60 minutes on the field. Yeah, I've been really encouraged by the fourth down uh, decision-making because I think – like maybe part of it is that they're a, a losing team that's usually uh, needs to put points on the board. So they like almost feel like they have to go for on fourth and they haven't had a consistent kicker. So they feel like they might as well go for it versus put it into the hands of whoever's trying to get three points instead. Um, but with that said, I think the decision-making on fourth down has been awesome just because in this kind of analytics league that the NFL is, uh, turning into where more and more coaches are starting to be analytically driven and go for more on fourth downs and go for two more often, just weird stuff like that. Um, I think Urban's and just the whole coaching staff and team has done a good job of making those decisions in the right way. And then even um, the play calls, I think there's been a little bit of scrutiny with the decisions because the Jaguars have not had much success with those uh, like fourth downs and mm-hmm. high leverage situations but like I really think the play calling errors are a little bit overblown yeah. like like sure you want to put in James Robinson over Carlos Hyde I, on that I, fourth down but I think that play gets stuffed regardless yeah that's getting stuffed regardless like the one in Cincinnati where Trevor was short of the line uh, I think it was like a fine play call and Trevor just wanted to try to like get into the end zone more than actually extending the play like it was designed to to go outside. And it was just more so about great execution from Cincinnati than poor execution from Jacksonville. Um, and then like one decision that actually went well was when the Jaguars uh, got the fourth down against the Titans on the uh, Hollister touchdown. Yeah, It was just a genius play call because Bevel sent, sent out four tight ends which made Tennessee respond with its goal line package. 
and then he went into empty formation. Trevor was able to just pick his mismatch. And so I think I think ov- overall the fourth down p- decisions have been super encouraging. Yeah, no, I, I remember after the Titans game, uh, you know, there, there's a, <clears throat> a company, you know, EDJ Sports that, you know, looks at the value that fourth down decisions, you know, bring in terms of increasing or decreasing, you know, the game winning probabilities. And I think Urban in the, the Tennessee week, he had like two of the five best decisions. And I remember when I tweeted that, everybody was like, uh, well, that, you know, that can't be because James Robinson wasn't in. And I'm like, just the thought process itself has actually right. been encouraging. They have to be better at actually, you know, getting the conversion and scoring the play, which, you know, is a big part of it. But I, I feel like the thing that you can probably most rely on and carry on over time is the thought process. And I'm interested to see if they keep that thought process as the team, you know, potentially improves moving forward. You know, I like, like, I feel like if they're not, you know, completely scrambling for points every week, I wonder if they're going to be as aggressive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I could see them turning it down a little bit if they just don't need points as aggressively. Uh, and, like, since the play calls or the decisions haven't been super fruitful so far, maybe they'll say, oh, we got to relax on those a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, that like, the way that the defense is, like, it's not going to get that much better this year. And so they kind of need to score points to win games. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm like I'll, I'll be honest, that's been something I've been surprised with a bit with Meyer. Like, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be because I feel like teams probably go for it on fourth down in college more than they do in the NFL. That's just me completely guessing. I'm sure I'm 99 percent sure there's dad out there that would refute that. But uh, I mean, that, that has been one area that has surprised me. Uh, OK, stepping away from in-game decisions, the personnel decisions, uh, not personal decisions, as you uh, <laughs> alluded to, but the personnel decisions. To me, that has been the area that that he has struggled in the most. Whether it's, you know, just missing on evaluations or, I mean, you know, just for for example, you know, I I know a lot of people are pointing to Andrew Wingard and, you know, everything like that over Andre Cisco. To me, the biggest indictment on Urban's, you know, issues with his personnel decisions has been Miles Jack. And, you know, obviously, Miles Jack for the first month of the season wore the green dot, was essentially the team's middle linebacker. And I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, for the first month of the season, Jack was probably one of the defenses is like biggest liabilities. You know, he just yeah. he, was, he was not playing well. I mean, the Cincinnati game, he was one of the sole reasons that they lost that game. You know, he was just repeatedly getting beat, especially in coverage. And I, I truly do believe a big reason for that is because they put the green dot on him. Uh, they took it off in week five. And, you know, I, I believe Rayshon Jenkins has handled a lot of it. Damian Wilson does a lot of it. I, I, I think a big, big part of it is Rayshon Jenkins since Wilson still gets rotated out, out of the lineup a little bit. But I, I feel like he could have walked down any street in Jacksonville and asked, you know, anyone who has seen a Jaguars game over the last few years, you know, should Miles Jack wear the green dot? And they would have said no. And even Miles Jack himself, I mean, Miles Jack on Monday himself said, you know, he he, he knows it's a knock on him, which, you know, I, I, I disagree with Jack to a degree there. But Jack said he knows it's a knock on him, but it's proven that he plays better without the green dot. It quiets his game down. You know, he can trust his reads more. And to me, you know, Urban after week five said that they did some research and discovered that he plays better without that. I, I'm like, you know, it, dude down the street would have known that. You didn't need to do research on it. So just see – seeming not just unprepared for the NFL, but unprepared for this specific Jaguars team 
seemed like an issue to me with Meyer from the jump. And I haven't been convinced that he's improved in that regard, which I mean, you know, considering how poor the roster is, you know, they're going to be, they're going to need to make good roster decisions and personnel decisions, you know, moving forward. And I'm not convinced he's the guy who with as much roster power as he has is somebody you can really, you know, kind of trust moving forward in that role. Yeah. I think there definitely needs to be a little bit more checks and balances in the system of decision-making when it comes to the front office and personnel, like you said, I mean, you would literally think he's like a scuba diver the way he's how many deep dives he's done this summer based on what he said. So uh, as deep of a dive as he can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows how much he can remember. Uh, He he calls Arizona the Phoenix Cardinals like once a week now at this rate. So is my dad. (laughs) Well, your dad's not an NFL head coach, is he? Pop Warner coach. There you go. Uh, But yeah, I think, like you said, like looking to the future, uh, the trade deadline is coming up, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But seeing how he kind of evaluates the team so far now that he's actually been with them during regular season games, um, I'd be surprised if they make any moves. But whatever moves that they do make will be a pretty big reflection on how Urban and the rest of the staff kind of views the roster. So, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat as you, where it's. Well, it's another wait and see kind of thing, but so far it hasn't been great. I, I would venture as far as say Trent Balky is the most trustworthy personnel guy on uh, in the organization. Yeah, I mean, do you, I was, I was like, say, like, if you had to say, balances, like, but... who do you trust more with the keys to, you know, a free agency period right now, Trent Balky or Urban Meyer? I think Balky. Yeah, definitely Balky. Yeah, that that that, 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 that would be a lot of trust, but it would be balky. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. But I mean, this this is uh, the scenario they are staring themselves, you know, in in the face at moving forward. So that that's to me, that's been the most concerning thing with him. You know, I mean, I, I remember sitting there in a press conference when he said they did research into the Miles Jack Screen Dot thing, and I I was just dumbfounded because I, I, like. Even Todd Wash <laughs> figured out that, you know, my host Jack is better without the green dot. You know, they took him a couple of years, but he right he figured it out. He got there. Yeah. Well, uh, another big part of the head coach's job, arguably, you know, I, in my opinion, the biggest part is his hiring ability, uh, hiring a staff. I have thoughts on, you know, really a number of the staff decisions, just considering where some of the positions have shaked out. But I, I, obviously the big ones are the coordinators, uh, special teams coordinator, Nick Sorensen. I have nothing to add there. You know, just, uh, I feel like the special teams haven't really been an issue outside of the kicker getting, you know, the yips for a month. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of that you can attribute to a special teams coordinator. And I feel like they've honestly been good in terms of uh, punt and kick coverage. So then, right. you know, you look to offensive and defense coordinators, Daryl Bevel, uh, you know, the, the Jaguars, you know, I know they're high in uh, rushing EPA and rushing DVOA. I think they're one of like four teams that are more efficient right now in running the ball than passing the ball, I, I, I think. Cle- Cleveland's also one of those teams, which is, you know, good stuff. But mm-hmm. overall, what is your impression on what you've seen from Daryl Bevel so far? It, just in terms of, you know, his ability to get playmakers included, his scheme and his you really know how he's put Trevor Lawrence in good situations. Yeah, I've been super encouraged by Bevel. I was a little bit upset with people online over the first few weeks of the season 
uh, like calling for Bevel to, I don't, not necessarily be fired, but saying that it was a poor decision. No, a, a lot of people call for him to be fired. Yeah, well, that, that'll happen. But, uh, and so I, like, I do understand that because the first few weeks of the season were a little bit rough, but I think, um, like, the game against the Texans, they were just, like, kind of never in it. And part of it was coaching, but also, like, yeah. the Jaguars, uh, like, Trevor threw a couple of picks that got the Texans into good field position. And then there was, like, a few holding calls that, like, kind of batched them up into, like, first or second and long. And so I don't, like, I don't judge Bevel at all for that game because they were out of it before they were even in it. And they just kind of had to be forced to chuck the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. And Trevor's first career started, unsurprisingly, didn't work super well. Um, and then, like, they had a game against uh, Denver, who has a really good defense and a really good coach and Vic Fangio. And then uh, the Cardinals game was kind of the last one where uh, Trevor and the offense and Bevel looked like they were still trying to figure things out. But the past three weeks especially, I think the season overall, but especially the past three weeks have been super encouraging just because, like, it felt like in the Texans game, like I said, part of that was circumstance, but I felt like there was at least three receivers running deep on every single play. And since then, I think Bevel has done a, a a better job of kind of designing shorter plays and shorter routes where Trevor can get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly because while Trevor has improved his like uh, decision-making was not very good to start the se- season and he was a late on a lot of throws. So I think Bevel has done a good job of kind of tailoring to his strengths a little bit and then also like kind of implementing um, boot bootleg plays to get him out into space and then more rushing attempts in the past few weeks to use his legs more. And then one thing I've been impressed by as well is uh, their usage of RPOs and screens mm-hmm. because they don't they use it uh, probably like below league average those types of plays but they I believe that they're both like their top 10 in terms of like success rate or positive play percentage on those types of plays and so it was getting very pretty boring seeing like the Leonard Fournette swing uh, screens and like the Mercedes Lewis tight end screens and just like all of this just nastiness recently. And so the fact that like those types of like short gimme plays are actually working well for the Jaguars is uh, good to see. And I think it's a big credit to the coaching staff. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I honestly do think Bevel has done a good job. You know, it's hard to not say the first few weeks, you know, weren't, you know, I, I like, you know, plainly a disaster. Uh I think right. a, a big part of that is, you know, simply, you know, you have a rookie quarterback who's still trying to figure out what he can do. I right. think as Lawrence has gotten more comfortable, I think Bevel has improved as well. And I, I think Bevel's, you know, like you said, Bevel's put him in better situations. You know, you've seen Lawrence a, attacking maybe downfield a bit less in recent weeks than, you know, you saw over those first few weeks where he was, you know, among like the top two or three in terms of air yards. Uh, you know, that's, you know, because, you know, like you said, they're giving Lawrence more chances to, you know, kind of get the ball out of his hands quicker. And I've I, I, I've been impressed with how he has kind of managed to give Lawrence a chance to attack, you know, one on one throughout the field. You know, he's putting guys in situations to, you know, face those isolation rounds, especially Marvin Jones. I, 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 I feel like the offensive like it hasn't been since I would say the Arizona game where I feel like the offense was 
playing basically from behind the defense in terms of the defense was dictating the terms. I, I feel like since then, the offense has kind of dictated the terms to the opposing defense, and the defense right. has had to be the one to play catch-up. And I feel like, you know, obviously Lawrence getting better is a huge part of that. But, you know, like you said, Bevel has put him in good situations. That, that touchdown uh, against the, the Titans and MT was, you know, a great example of it. And, you know, he had some really, really well-schemed up stuff against uh, Miami's, you know, high-pressured uh, defense. So I, I'm interested to see how Bevel continues to grow with Lawrence. But I, I, I thought entering the season that Bevel was Meyer's best hire and – I still feel that way after, you know, the first six games. Agreed. I felt the exact same way. Yeah, and, and I, I understand to a degree why people were kind of questioning maybe Bevel's long-term fit in those first few weeks because it just seemed like – like their offense, it didn't seem like they had a scheme. You know, it seemed like they were trying to do so many different things and they had no identity, and it just seemed like Bevel and Meyer weren't really a match. But I feel like over the last few weeks, you have actually seen an identity, you know, from the Jaguars in terms of, you know, their scheme. And, and you know, they're, they're going to run the ball. They're going to do a lot of play action. They're going to move Lawrence out of the pocket. And, you know, like you said, they don't do a lot of screens and RPOs, but they do mix things up in terms of the looks that they present the defenses. So, I mean, I would say just out of the coordinators that we've seen in Jacksonville the last uh, couple of years, you know, Jay Gruden, Dave Filippo, uh, Nate Hackett, et cetera, I, I'd put Bevel up there at the top. Yes, uh, completely agree. I also would say that, Brian Schottenheimer deserves a little bit of a shout out because he's the quarterback's coach and has obviously had a big impact on Trevor's development so far. And I'm sure he's also had a major impact on the, um, maybe not the play calling, but certainly the playbook. And so it's pretty hard to tell from an outside perspective how much of an impact he's made. But I think when we're talking about Bevel, since he's the offensive coordinator, obviously like his name should come to mind first. But Schottenheimer has been an impact and I think a good one as well oh no 100% I think it's funny whenever Urban kind of gets talked about Trevor's development you know he always mentions both Bevel and Schottenheimer but he mentioned Schottenheimer specifically for you know yeah how how close you know him and him and Lawrence are in terms of their communication and you know during the games Schottenheimer is the one down on the field and Bevel's in the booth so Schottenheimer's really doing that consistent communication with him I, I think Schottenheimer has done a, you know, fantastic job with Lawrence just because entering the season, I, I didn't think Lawrence, you know, especially the last couple of years at Clemson, I didn't think Clemson did a lot to help expand his skill set or really cater to him. And I felt like even, you know, some of his mechanics got kind of sloppy. Uh, and I feel like you could see that a little bit at the very start of Jaguars OTAs and training camp. I feel like over the last few weeks, you know, just in terms of his, you know, how clean his footwork is in and out of the pocket, you know, I, I like, I feel like we haven't seen any bad plays from him because he's just completely throwing with awful mechanics because, you know, whether he's being pressured or anything else, I feel like he's playing very technically sound. I, you know, like I, I, there's a bad play from him. I feel like it's simply because either a, it's a bad decision or two, it's just a miss, you know, and quarterbacks, right. they're, they're going to miss sometimes. Yeah, his pocket movement is outrageous. Like he should not I, I be think it's his best able trade. to move the way he is. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I was excited for the quarterback change this season is that the difference between uh, Lawrence and Minshew is largely uh, just the types of passes that they can throw. Like if you put together a highlight reel of Trevor's best passes, Minshew would probably be able to make about 
like 10% of them and actually attempt 1% of them. Yeah. But besides just um, the throw strength and um, being able to just get the ball anywhere on the field, I think the pocket presence is another major difference because um, Minshew had really good pocket awareness, but he didn't have good pocket movement because he would like kind of sense a pressure coming from one side of the line and then just duck his head and just get like happy feet and move around and pick up like one yard on a scramble. And Lawrence has been just insane, like understanding where the pressure is coming from, but then able to keep his head up and move to the open space in the field. And it's just, it's night and day and it's incredible yeah. to watch. And I mean, in terms of athleticism, it's, it, it's not even, you know, close. Like that, that's been one thing that's, you know, kind of been jarring to me, you know, I, I feel like everybody knew Lawrence was athletic. You know, you just watched Ohio State play and calling him sneaky athletic would be, you know, such a cliche, <laughs> so stupid, but just like that, that play against, you know, Miami where the free blitzer was coming off the edge and he was able to spin out and then make a throw and another play where, you know, he was diving back as he was throwing it against pressure. He just makes so many plays that I feel like a six foot six guy should not be able to make. And he, he makes things look so much faster than you would really expect from. I, I don't know whether, you know, it's a stature or whatever, but to me, that's been a thing that's really opened up their offenses, you know, for Minshew for as much as he used his legs, I would never call him athletic. I mean, I, I, I feel like he could have got chased down by Paul Pazuzny, but I, I feel like Lawrence is actually, you know, a guy who can, you know, kind of make the finners look silly in space, whether it's, you know, in or out of the pocket. Yeah, he's just a freak. Uh, real quick, I've got some uh, statistics pulled up from the Bevel stuff I was talking about earlier. According to Sports Info Solutions, the Jaguars run, use motion, uh, or they rank 20th in percentage of, you or geez, usage rank of motion, excuse me, and they rank sixth best in positive play rank for play action, 15th most, but seventh positive play rank rpos 11th most the second best positive play rate and then screens just 28th most but fourth best positive play rate so all of like the little scheme things to get cheap yards bevel's doing a good job of yeah no i i i i think collectively you know you would say there's like one assistant you would like to see them keep after the season i think it'd be you know between bevel and schottenheimer and i would i would ultimately lean bevel just because you know, we haven't really seen Schottenheimer call plays. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, I, I feel completely opposite. I I I I like I like Joe Colin higher in terms of I, I'm a big fan of the Baltimore Ravens scheme. I know Colin would instantly really, I mean, both with the guys they brought in and with his scheme and his coaching style, I knew Colin would kind of instantly fix the run defense. But I feel like he has, just in terms of a scheme on the back end and actual making adjustments to what offenses are doing, I feel like he has looked in over his head over the first, you know, six weeks of the season. Obviously, you know, of course that could change uh, as the season goes, but I I just, I feel like it's a defense that looks lost in terms of its actual scheme. I would say, uh, for me, Colin is in the same boat as, Meyer, right? Just need to see a little bit more to really like kind of make a decision of whether I think he's good or not. But uh, like just to defend him a little bit, not that I think he's great, but I think he did a little bit of stuff against Miami that was encouraging. Like they ran a, a little bit more zone and a little bit more two high coverages because 
um you were right he like he really didn't adapt the first four or five weeks of the season like when you're if you were like an opposing quarterback you knew that the jaguars were going to be in a single high safety shell and run either cover one or cover three and against the titans over half of Ryan Tannehill's pass attempts were on like short to intermediate in breaking routes and the Jaguars just had like no success against it even when they ran coverages that were like technically designed to stop that like cover one hole where there's a defender in the hole to take away those crossing routes like it's it still works for the Titans and so I like I said I think he did a little bit better um, against the Dolphins with just kind of switching things up but Overall, I would say that he definitely needs to continue to prove that he can be able to adapt. Um, and so that's easier said than done, especially considering the lack of talent that the Jaguars have on that side of the roster, yeah. especially in the secondary, because like, I don't, even if, even if you do change something drastically, I don't know how much it'll actually help in terms of results. But uh, I feel you're out there. But yeah. I mean, the run, I feel all that way about the pass defense though. But I think he's been awesome to, in terms of their run defense. I do too. The, the Jags rank uh, like near the bottom of the league in EPA allowed per rush attempt. But I think that's a large part because they've allowed uh, one of the most uh, like probably top five rushing touchdowns in the league. But in terms of yards per carry allowed, they rank fifth best. And in terms of explosive run rate allowed, uh, which is like any run 15 yards or more, they rank second best. And so like Damian Wilson and Malcolm Brown have definitely helped, but they're also like on a third NFL team. So they're not super big difference makers. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's been, been a huge credit to coaching to turn around what's been one of the worst rushing defenses in the league over the past several years to make it into arguably one of the best. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I believe Coleman deserves a lot of credit there. Uh, the scheme itself is kind of, you know, built to stop the run, and they've done a good job of bringing in those players. I think Adam Gostas is another guy who's been really impactful against the run this year. And I, 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 I would agree with you on basically with everything you said, especially in terms of the talent. I, I think when if you're going to look to anything to kind of, you know, defend uh, Colin in his first six games as a coordinator, it's – Basically, you know, do the Jaguars have the talent to run, you know, the scheme that, you know, they're they're attempting to run? And, I mean, M Meyer himself said this weekend, I think he even said last week, that they started incorporating more zone defense, you know, heading into the Miami game because they were just getting gashed on, like, you know, rub routes and pick routes and stuff like that. I think that's coaching. But what I don't think is coaching is having one, you know, starting caliber cornerback, you know, a starting guys, you know, like Damian Wilson, like, for as much as the Jaguar staff likes him and for as much as, you know, maybe he has no complete liability. I don't think Andrew Winger is starting on many NFL, good NFL defenses. I don't think Chris Claybrooks is a top backup option on many NFL defenses. And I, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, Jahal Ward's another guy who I would point out, you know, a guy who gets a lot of snaps for them, but yeah, I mean, th there's a reason he played like, you know, not even 20% of the snaps for Baltimore, you know, like he was a rotational guy, but in Jacksonville, he's, you know, nearly a full-time player. And I think that's kind of a microism of what is kind of wrong with the defense. Yeah. I don't think Coleman has done a good job adjusting in terms of teams or were scheming things. He's like, I, I go back to the Tim Patrick touchdown against CJ Henderson in week two. That, that was just <laughs> like such an easily schemed, you know, thing. Lily just brought him across the bunch formation and, you know, there was CJ Henderson was, you know, in McClinney 
you know, he was he was nowhere near him. I think that's on coaching. But I think when you look at things such as, you know, maybe their inability to make game-changing plays, I, I think it's kind of, you know, the fact that they're not starting a lot of guys who would start in other defenses. I think Josh Allen probably would. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, based on how he's played this year, would. Uh, I actually think Rayshon Jenkins is – uh, I like I, I know his PFF grades uh, haven't been that good. I actually think Rayshon Jenkins has mostly been solid this year. Uh, and then, you know, you, Devon Hamilton and Miles Jack. And then after that, I'm not sure they have other NFL starters on their defense. Yeah, I agree with you there. Damian Wilson is a really good run defender, or at least above average, but man, it is brutal on passing downs. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, KC's defense is horrific, and they moved on from Damian Wilson. Yeah, I don't have the updated stats, but uh, I found this last week uh, at going into week seven, I guess. The Jags ranked dead last in completion percentage, yards per attempt, and EPA per play allowed on short to intermediate passes over the middle of the field. And that's in large part because of the linebackers that they're trotting out, trotting out there. Because, I mean, it's kind of hard to ask almost any linebacker to do well in coverage. Yeah. But – I mean, it's I, been it's been pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, when when you look at why they've struggled in coverage, I think it's you know pretty easy. I mean, I think take away Shaquille Griffin, take away, in my opinion, the safeties. I I I don't think Wingard's been the issue on too many big receiving plays, and yeah. I think that's where you have your issue is the two linebackers. Because for as much as I think Miles Jack's talented, he you know, has had a bad year in coverage. Damian Wilson has had a bullseye on him in coverage all season long. And then mm-hmm. the rest of their cornerbacks opposite Griffin. That, that, that to me is the sole reason, you know, their pass defense has been so bad is because they don't have the players there. At the very least, those players aren't really working. Yeah, Griffin's been really good this year, but it's, it's probably because he is really good, but also because, like, why target Shaquille Griffin when you can target Chris Claybrooks and – Tyson Campbell and whoever else they're charting out there. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you, and it, it's it's tough for Campbell. I, I honestly want to see if adding more zone defense will help Campbell because he is. It's funny he is a completely different player when he's facing the ball as opposed mm-hmm. to when his back is turned to it. And in man coverage, you know, you're going to get your back turned to the ball on pretty much every play. I'm interested to see if he's better in zone than he is in man, you know, even though he has, you know, kind of a man skill set in terms of his height, height, weight, and speed. I'm interested to see if going into that more of a mixed zone coverage, I'm interested to see if that helps him a bit. Cause I mean, I, I, you know, he, he, obviously his coverage numbers are awful in terms of efficiency, but I'm curious like what his numbers would be in terms of, separation given you know on catches because i feel like he's right there on most of the catches just dude yeah. losing them yeah i would also say in terms of uh the scheme for colin like i've been pretty underwhelmed by what they do up front on passing downs because like it feels like the only stunt that they've really run is with jihad word and josh allen which has like worked like one out of ten times it feels like and so part of the reason that the Baltimore defense coming to Jacksonville is so exciting is because uh, the Ravens defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, is just a genius at kind of putting a p- bunch of people at the line of scrimmage, or even not, but just like sending people from all over the place and getting pressure on the quarterback without necessarily having to just send the house. And so I haven't, like, maybe it's possible that 
Um, Corlin doesn't really want to like un- unleash that kind of part of the defense because they don't really have the second or the talent in the secondary to be able to hold up. But I think like the stunt games and the schemed blitzes and all that stuff has been just pretty dry and underwhelming to start. Uh, the, the next time their nickel blitz works will be the first time. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I feel like every time I see the nickel blitz come off the edge, it's just completely blocked. Like, like it looks like yeah. offenses are prepared for whatever that throwing at them, you know? And the entire thing with this defense, or at, at least what it's supposed to be, is offenses don't know what they're going to see, you know, post-snap. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like we're in agreement. I I'd be interested to see Colin with, you know, a better defensive roster. But I think these next 11 games are going to be big because, you know, I, I feel like Meyer is going to be in a position where, you know, if the Jaguars struggle over these, you know, next uh, few months and, you know, they end the season with just a couple of wins and a defense that ranks in the bottom of the league, I feel like he'd be in a position to have to evaluate, you know, whether he wants to, you know, end the Colin experiment after one year. He's going to have to do a deep dive, after, that's for sure. Yeah, deep as deep of a dive. Another one, another trip to the keys. Yeah, deep of a dive as they can remember. Thank you, guys. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. (laughs) I mean, you know, moving past the coordinators, obviously the most important part of the Jaguars now for the next, you know, however many years, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, he, he is, you know, the Jaguars moving forward. He, he, you know, he, that's not hyperbolic to say, their entire success, you know, basically hinges on his uh, development and his shoulders. You know, no pressure there or anything. Can't imagine how that must feel. But overall, what have been your impressions of Trevor just looking from, you know, uh, week one to now? You know, not, like, do, do you feel like he's been the quarterback, you know, kind of prospect in terms of talent and what you've seen that you kind of expected? Yeah, he's honestly been, like, exactly what I expected because, obviously, pretty much every rookie quarterback is going to have some growing pains out of the gate, even if you're a quote-unquote generational prospect. But, I mean, since then, he's been routing into form a lot and, like, flashes have been there all season and just put together more and more as the weeks go by. But, like, man, the flashes are ridiculous. And so once he just, like, kind of keeps putting, not just, like, the flashes, but just, like, less negative plays and just, kind of keeps working uh more and more to be more consistent i guess then i mean yeah i've not been surprised by any of his development so far yeah no i i i can honestly say i haven't been really surprised by anything he's done i mean even the kind of like you know yolo (laughs) the yolo ball he was playing at the start of the year I didn't think was particularly surprising because he was aggressive. He was an aggressive player at Clemson. You know, they just didn't really, you know, unleash him out of structure very often. And uh-huh. so I, 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 I truthfully haven't been surprised negatively, negatively in any way. You know, I think he's been everything that, you know, they would kind of need him to be. I, but I have been surprised by some things. You know, I've been surprised by, you know, he is basically, you know, at least from what we've seen and what Brian Schoenheimer said last week, 
he has complete, you know, like uh, control at the line of scrimmage. You know, he can check in the runs and passes. He can change protection. He can change the play. And for me, seeing that kind of control be given to a guy, you know, basically a month into his regular season, I, I, I would not have expected that considering the offense he was coming from. I truthfully would have expected there to be a bit more of an adjustment in terms of, you know, reading NFL defenses just because, I mean, Clemson was truly a Mickey Mouse <laughs> offensive scheme. You know, it, it, yeah. it, 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 it was a horrific scheme. So I, I've been impressed by that, and I've been impressed by, you know, like I said earlier, uh, his, his mechanics. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think he was a technically sound quarterback at Clemson. I thought he got a lot of it done mostly, you know, based off his natural tools. But, you know, with the Jaguars, it seems like everything he, he's done has kind of been, you know, textbook. You know, obviously, you you know, that can't exactly be said for all of the reads and everything like that. But I think to this point, I don't think there's been anything that Lawrence has done that should concern Jaguars fans that whether they have the guy or not. And I, instead, I, I would say more has been done, especially, you know, over the last few month. But I feel like even in his bad games, he showed, you know, some flashes that, OK, this is you know, the guy, you know, I feel like they can already comfortably say they have one of the ascending young quarterbacks in the NFL, where I don't feel like every team has drafted a quarterback highly in the last year or two can say that. Yeah, I, he does like all the little things right from setting protections to lining up receivers to the pocket movement, like all of the like little stuff, the nitty gritty stuff that like, you don't really recognize play to play. Um like it gives him such a high floor, which is just scary because everyone knows how high his ceiling is. And I think like in the beginning when he struggled, everyone was saying like, oh, it's fine. Like he's just uh, learning what he can and can't do in the NFL. And he's aware of the team that he's on that they're not going to win many games. Yeah. And I, th- I think he was certainly aware that uh, he needed to kind of like maybe force a little bit um, in order to keep the Jaguars in games. But at the same time, I think he was just, getting used to the NFL. Cause like you said, the Clemson scheme was not great. <laughs> and, uh, Mickey Mouse is what it's I, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, it was just vanilla and Mickey Mouse and whatever. So I think he was just kind of used to being able to, where even if he's like a little bit late on a read at Clemson, like he's so much better than everyone and his receivers are so much better than everyone, then he can just get away with it. And so he was just kind of figuring out that he couldn't get away with everything. And so now that, he knows what he can't get away with, and Bevel understands that as well. It's It's been a lot better. Uh, in the first three weeks of the season, he had a – or he, this is his changes from the first three weeks to uh, weeks four through six for Trevor Lawrence. His completion percentage went from 54 to 66. Yards per attempt from 5.7 to 8.1. Touchdown and interception ratio went to five to seven to two to one, and that's not including two rushing touchdowns in the second half and then uh per pff his turnover or his rate of big time throws to turnover worthy throws was four to nine and that's improved to six and three so from from like the film tape and statistically wise he's clearly been getting better and like i think he's just like been jumping quarterback tiers in just the first month and a half of of his nfl career and like i wouldn't expect that rate to continue as much because I think mostly just because of the state of the receiver room like it's not like he's gonna turn into a quarterback yeah, that can just do anything that he R. wants R. to the as soon. Can play outside take <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
why why do you think I was saying biscuit to the slot all summer long? Yeah, that was I I, I will also take an L on that one. I I I thought the Colorado tape. I I, I was clinging on to it like a like a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. So once the there's a little bit more talent in their receiving room, then I think you'll be able to take that tape or take that jump. Hopefully next year to the kind of quarterback that will can excel regardless of his environment. Yeah, and what's no, I, actually happening and who's across from him. I mean, you know, just taking all, you know all object all objectivity, you know, just looking at what we've seen from them, you know, in terms of on the field and both in numbers. Where would you rank, you know, the rookie quarterbacks in terms of confidence that it, you have in them becoming solid NFL starters? For me, it would go Lawrence, Mac Jones, and then I struggle with the other three. I, I think right now the Jaguars and Patriots are the only two rookie quarterbacks who people can be not concerned with. And and I really like Justin Fields, and, you know, I, I think he can be fantastic. But I do think, you know, uh, eventually, you know, you can only say but so many times when it comes to a quarterback struggling, you know, but his receivers, but his offensive line. His receivers and his offensive line, his head coach suck, but um, <laughs> but I'm still, you know, <laughs> I, I still eventually need to see some non-disastrous games, you know, to kind of plant my flag on anything but how, how would you rank the quarterbacks right now I mean I, I got Mac at second I know he has better numbers across the board it's just like I, I, I when the Patriots are asking their receivers to throw their deep passes that's that's when I'm throwing up my red flag <laughs> I've honestly been pretty impressed by Mac only because like he's exactly who we thought he was but he's also exactly who we thought he was like this early in his NFL career like I think he's been doing all the things that we kind of expected from him right out of the gate from the plus accuracy to the sneaky athletic movement in the pocket uh, to just like understanding situations and play calls. And so like, unlike Trevor or really anyone else in this class, I don't think his ceiling can get that much higher, but I think he's the fact that he's already met his high floor seemingly is pretty impressive, especially with in the Patriot system, which is, uh, certainly not a Mickey Mouse offense. Yeah, no, um, I, I trust him to not lose you a game right now. Yeah, so I would agree with you that it's Trevor 1, Mac 2, and then uh, what was the prompts, like quarterbacks that like we would take right now? Yeah, like just rank the rookie quarterbacks right now in terms of your confidence and then moving forward. Mm, I would say Lance 3 only because the whole Shanahan system thing is overblown, but also fair at the same time. Because, I mean, if Jimmy G can do it, then who can't? And then I think that Lance's, like, rushing value, um, just like his, will just raise his floor immensely. And so even if we don't see it very soon, since he's still 21 years old, yeah, I think he has um, probably, like, the third highest floor. And so – and then, like, his ceiling is pretty high, too, because he makes some pretty great downfield throws. So, I'll, even if it's a little bit of a hot take, I think I would still put Lance at three, even though he hasn't really done much so far this season. And then after that, I would say Fields four and Wilson five. Yeah. Well, just because Fields has been a little all over the place, but his offense isn't helping him at all. I feel Whereas like I think Wilson still had flashes at times. Would you say yeah. that? And Wilson, like – hasn't been super helped out by his offense, but it's like not an awful offense that doesn't cater to his strengths, unlike Chicago. So yeah, I, I feel like to me the only like really like positive play is Wilson's made this year. And you know, 
like, like I'm I I'm somebody who hates himself. So I watch you know every game, uh, every, you know throughout the week. <laughs> From seeing Wilson snaps, the only throws he's made that really caught my eye, where I'm like, okay, dang, that's the throw. It's been you know on scramble drills and on on extended plays, and I just I need to see more than Mormon Manziel to <laughs> to think you know that that it's sustainable. You know, I need to see him actually win inside structure because. You've seen Trevor do that. You've seen Mac do that. I don't know if Wilson can – like, I, I, I legitimately don't know if you can run, like, a drop back NFL offense with him right now. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit higher on him, only because we're probably the same level on him going into the draft. But the only game I've watched from him was uh, whenever the Jets play the Panthers. And I was actually, like, a little bit impressed by that performance, even though, like, it wasn't good statistically. Like, I think, like, the offensive line is just brutal. And then outside of Corey Davis, they don't have, really have receivers. And so, I Best certainly wouldn't be surprised. What was that? Best receiver room in the NFL. Per <laughs> every Jets fan ever. Every single one the of them. The deepest and the best. Yeah, God. Easily the best environment for rookie quarterback. I wasted so much time. Go, go on. <laughs> uh, so, while, while I put Wilson at five of those quarterbacks, like I, I still have a little bit more belief in him than I think most do at this point. Yeah. I I would say I think differently about this class than I did during like the day after the draft. Like I'm lower on this like on these five guys in general. I like I feel like Trevor, I'm just as high on as I was. I feel like Mac I'm higher on because you know he's not completely crapping the bed when he goes out there. And I feel like the other three, like you know, obviously you can expect lows, but there's been like some like alarming lows you know and and yeah lance i lance i probably agree with you you know he'd probably be at three but it, it just seems like with kyle shanahan's handling of him he already like wishes he took mac jones instead like it does not seem like kyle shanahan enjoys you know the trey lance uh, you know era yeah it'll be interesting to see uh how long the two of them are together just because there's been so many talks recently about is kyle shanahan a good coach yeah uh, so I'm, we'll I'm, see I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, uh, m- uh, moving forward, a few more things. Would you make any move at the deadline, guys, buying or selling? Uh, Urban Meyer, as subtle as he normally is and as good as he is, is keeping his cards to the to his chest, wink, wink, <laughs> has basically both on Monday and Wednesday said without saying the Jaguars are looking, you know, at, at the trade deadline. You know, he said yesterday that uh, hit the, their phone's been buzzing. Uh, he said on Monday that, you know, they need to add at receiver, whether that can be someone they have now or from another avenue, which is obviously, you know, the trade deadline. Because he got asked that. He said that as part of a response to the trade deadline. It's kind of already been implied by Urban that they're looking at the trade deadline. I'm of the opinion that, you know, it's weird for any one in five team to be a buyer. But on one hand, I, I don't see them as a seller because – I truthfully, I don't know who, who on this roster you're trading. Like, I, I, I don't know who has trade value that you're actually willing to trade right now because you traded all those, you know, types of guys, you know, already. You know, C.J. Henderson, Sidney Jones, Gardner Minshew, Sherbert, you already traded all the guys who, you know, were tradable, which are guys who are expendable, who still have, you know, trade value. Uh, you know, you're not trading James Robinson. You're not trading Miles Jack or Josh Allen, any of those things. So I, I really do – think that you know in terms of whether they're buyers sellers or they stay put i think it's more likely that they're buyers than any of the other two options yeah the i mean cam robinson is the only player that logically makes sense because they drafted what's what will probably be his eventual replacement in walker little 
in last April's draft. Um, but like the argument, the main argument for buying a receiver, I feel like is just to help Trevor now. And so by that same logic, it wouldn't make any sense to ship out Cam Robinson. Yeah. Because that would like we don't really know what Walker Whittle is, but it's safe to say that Cam Robinson is going to do a better job of protecting Trevor for the second half of the season yeah. and kind of helping him to continue to develop. And then outside of Cam, uh like, yeah, I, I, I got asked earlier could, today, like, which Jaguars guy could you see being traded? And I'm like, Taven Bryan? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Taven makes a little sense only because he's a first-round player. So people are always going to be like, oh, well, there's got to be some traits there. Um, safety I mean, was the other position that came to mind for me only because they're, like, are a little bit deeper there than most positions, I think, just because – Cisco is obviously waiting in the wings, and I think that Daniel Thomas can be a viable part-time player, and Rudy Ford was kind of flying all over the place against Miami. And so it wouldn't surprise me if a team kind of reached out, like if they like if a team desperately needed someone to plug in that safety, like even though I agree with you about Wingard, like maybe someone will get desperate and trade a day three pick for him or try to get a day three pick for a buy low opportunity for uh, either Cisco or Thomas. That's the only other thing I can think of. Would you trade a healthy Brandon Linder? No. No? Trevor's, Trevor's been awesome with um, like protections and everything up front, but Linder's just too invaluable, I think. And they do have a good like backup in Chatley. Um, I'm ready to call him a co-starter at this point. Chatley? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to he's an and or. <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like that's half the team. Yeah, outside good. of like four positions. Good point. Good point. But no, I'm with you. In in terms of guys, they should actually look at you know in terms of helping Trevor. I don't think it would make any sense for them to bring in a guy who wouldn't be here in 2022. So I think that kind of narrows down the pool of guys. And you know, shout out to my favorite fan base. You know, in New Jersey, uh, wherever they actually are, they're in New Jersey, right? The Jets. Yeah, well, they okay. play there. Yeah, play. Shout out to my favorite <laughs> fan base and the, the best receiver room in the NFL. <laughs> it's such a stacked room that Denzel Mims has played, you know, 41 snaps this season. I, I was noted he got a season-high 20 snaps in week seven, good for 28% of the Jets' offense. So while he's clearly on the upswing in there and his four catches are hard to replace, I feel like he's the perfect guy who makes sense for the Jaguars. He's – a height, weight, speed guy you can put on the outside and, you know, ask to run those deeper routes. It moves LaVisca Chenault back inside. It gives you more flexibility with, you know, Jamal Agnew because it doesn't mean that, you know, Jamal Agnew doesn't have to be on the field that much less. And he's a guy who gives them, you know, potential value past the season because, you know, he's on the contract 2022 and 2023. I really don't think it would take a lot to, like, to trade for him because, you know, you know, as much as, you know, the Jets have the deepest and best receiver room in the NFL, I just – I mean, they, they've, they've shown that they view him as, like, the same as Braxton Berrios, basically. Yeah, I think there were rumors about him being cut during the offseason. Yeah, there were. So – I mean, he's been a healthy scratch in, like, three of their games. Yeah, I think he's really similar to Marvin Jones in that he's – primarily a boundary receiver who makes contested catches like I feel like his entire profile coming out of Baylor was just contested catches that looked really cool on the sideline and then he like was like pretty good on one-on-one reps and for route 
running uh, at the senior bowl. And then he ended up turning into a second round pick. But I think for the sake of getting a young player with upside and then helping out Trevor and being able to move this get back into the slot where he can kind of just escape press and just sink into zone and stuff like that. I think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm just with you in general that um, the thing that makes sense the most for the Jaguars would be a receiver that they can keep under contract yeah. through 2022 and beyond. So whether that's, that probably means um, sign or trading for a receiver and then immediately signing him to an extension, like someone like Allen Robinson, who's on his last year of his contract in Chicago um, and Cortland Sutton, who, I mean, the, like the Bears make sense because they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Well, where are the Bears like three and four? I have no idea. I mean, I guess they could make the playoffs, and Matt Nagy said. Uh, yeah, but... I'm 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 looking at the standings right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you at the NFC. Yeah, the Bears are three and four. Oh, there we go. So either Robinson or like maybe someone like Cortland Sutton from Denver because they're kind of in the same boat where like. Maybe they'll probably make the playoffs, but it's not like they're serious contenders if, right now. If so, the playoffs were today, you know, there's seven seeds, Chicago would be ninth. Okay. Yeah. So seven that would, seeds, that's so gross. Yeah, it is. You, like you, your NFC playoff teams would be Arizona, Tampa, Green Bay, Dallas. Then you got the Rams, the Saints, and the Vikings, who I feel like are just the most irrelevant team this year that's amazing no that yeah. five through seven seed is incredible the, the, arguably the best offense in the nfl and then just throw in kirk cousins and james winston I the, love a, that. the afc is five through seven is baltimore uh the chargers and cleveland <laughs> oh wow yeah it's it's i mean you got vegas as a two seed right now yeah and the chiefs aren't even in the playoff picture no, they are no the chiefs are <laughs> The Jaguars are 14th. The Chiefs are 11th. So there's your, you know, your week eight win. So now I'm with you. I, I'm not even sure really who other options outside of Mims would be. I know Jalen Rager kind of fits the parameter of young, cheap, and fast. But, you know, no, no offense but to him. But, he, I mean, he's truly horrific. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's football. <laughs> if you want a horrific Eagles receiver, might as well get uh, Jay Joffrey even less. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm, I, I think we're both on the same page. I'm not sure if they make a move or not, but I, I, I do say with some confidence that I think they're going to look into it. So, uh, Gus, just a few more things. Who is a player who on offense and defense so far, you know, whether it's for positive or negative reasons, who has surprised you so far this year? Uh, on the offensive side, I would say it has to be Jamal Agnew, just because he was playing corner as recently as 2019, I believe. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he and became so, a receiver at the start of 2020. So he had several good uh, receiving plays against uh, the Dolphins before their bye week. And then as a returner, like he's a former All-Pro. And so it's not necessarily a surprise that he's been as good as he has been, but uh, he's certainly – added value on that side of the ball or that part of the team as well. Um, and so I would say Agnew because, I mean, Trevor, like we were talking about, is kind of what we expected. And yeah. then, like, I think you can make a case for Robinson being surprised. Like, but, like, I don't know if anyone in Jacksonville Damn, is really right? surprised that Robinson is as great as he is. Maybe people nationally, but 
James Robinson? Yeah, what did I say? Yeah, no, you said Robinson. I just need to make sure which Robinson. Oh, yeah, 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 James <laughs> Robinson. But he's been, like, truly uh, arguably a top five back, but definitely yeah. a top ten back. And so uh, I would say he's, like, overperformed expectations a little bit, but we all knew that he was really good. So I'll go with Agnew. And then on defense – I would honestly say Andrew Wingard because I thought he was an unplayable <laughs> safety. Yeah. And even though he's not great, he's been playable and he's made a few plays. Um, so he's he's definitely right. been the biggest surprise for me on the defense. Chris Ash told me he was the quarterback of the defense. I I, yeah. I I don't think he's coming off the field, you know, anytime soon. And I mean, if you know you you're keeping it, you know, 100 percent honest. I'm not sure Andrew Wingard has done anything to take himself off the field. You know, like obviously. Missed tackles, you know, galore against Derrick Henry. But I, I feel yeah. like just in terms of, like, coverage bust, I feel like we haven't seen anything, like, offensive. <laughs> I agree. I've, I've I, I know. That's setting, that's setting the bar style. high. I, I know. I know. But I digress. <laughs> uh, for, for me, I honestly, I've been surprised by LaVisca Chenault's uh, struggles. I thought he had, the, like, not only a skill set where he could win outside if needed, but I thought he had the best hands among their three receivers in terms of, you know, just pure catching ability, hand strength, a guy, you know, to trust in the middle of the field. And, you know, his, I, I think he's been, he's been targeted on either five or six contested passes this year. And he hasn't caught any of them. And uh, the only players who have, you know, gotten that many contested targets and have not caught any, it's like uh, Hunter Renfro, Tyree Kill, Chenault, Jalen Rager, and, Robbie Anderson. So, you know, some of those guys, you know, make sense, but you look at the builds, Chenault, you know, he's not like those guys, you know, he needs to come down with those uh, balls. So Chenault to me has not had as positive as a season as uh, I thought he would, you know, even going back to when he was in the slot. And then on defense, honestly, Rudy Ford, I, I didn't think Rudy Ford was going to be, you know, like a defensive really player at all. You know, I thought he was going to be strictly special teams, you know, kind of like the Jamal Agnew, of, you know, the defense where, you know, he has he's has a position group on offense, but, you know, like Agnew for the first few weeks doesn't really, you know, do much on that group, really specializes on defense. And, you know, it makes sense why, you know, I think Urban Meyer called him the best gunner, punt gunner that he's ever seen, and he's excellent at it. But he's been legitimately solid, I think, as a dime, you know, safety. You know, he, he kind of he does some linebacker responsibilities in passing situations, but I feel like he brings them a lot of uh, juice in terms of athleticism. He gives them a lot of size, and I feel like more often than not, when he's actually been challenged, he's made a play. Well, Urban clearly hasn't done a deep dive on Chris Claybrook, so if he called Ford the best gunner he's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, for, for like we said, was flying around against Miami. And I certainly didn't expect any defensive production out of him either. And then with Chenault, I'm surprised that you said that contested catch rate because I'm pretty sure last year he was actually one of the best players at contested yeah. catch rate. So it I seems like be, to me his confidence has been down. Yeah. So it would probably be fair to see that in the future just go somewhere in the middle where he's solid, but nothing special or nothing terrible. But yeah, I mean, like beyond the contested catches, like he just creates minimal separation. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, moving on, two more things. Uh, You know, obviously, you know, there's still a lot of football left to be played in 2021. But even for the most optimistic of Jaguars, you know, followers, you know, you have to understand that, you know, the things to really focus on in terms of importance are past 2021. 
Uh, you know, I, I don't think any offseason will match this past offseason in terms of importance. But this next offseason will be maybe the most important offseason, I think, of Trevor Lawrence's career with the Jaguars, just in terms of how do they take advantage now of, you know, his rookie deal, you know, after seeing what they have in him, you know, exactly what he needs and what they're missing on offense. You know, do they go all in on, you know, getting him a Stephon Diggs or Jamar Chase, you know, et cetera. And do they really, you know, go all in, go all in on supporting him or do they kind of let him, you know, flounder with a middling cast? So what would you say right now that their three biggest needs entering 2022 would be? I, I'll, I'll give you mine. I think it would be edge rusher first, a receiver second, and then cornerback third. I would say an X receiver first, mm-hmm. a, a pass rusher. I'm, I'm just grouping it together, whether it's like a um, like a three tech or an actual edge rusher. Yeah. So an X receiver, then a pass rusher, and then linebacker is my hot take. Right, a linebacker over corner. Only because – so with corner, I don't really know what you do there because, like – you have Tyson Campbell, who you just picked 33rd overall. And obviously he hasn't been great so far, but he's a rookie who's played with five or six games. So, like, do you take – if the Jags are take, picking between five and ten next April, do you take Stingley or Alam if they're there? And then if you do, like, what's your plan for moving him or Campbell, like, outside of a slot or splitting rotations? Like, I certainly agree that a corner is a major need. But, like, with Campbell there, it just, like, becomes murky. And so, if anything, I would want them to just make sure that they secure a really good um, or at least viable nickel corner and then just kind of hope that Campbell works out because I think it's just too early to quit on him so far. No, that, that's that's all fair. And I think it would be different if Campbell was getting beat, beat differently than he has been. You know, obviously the results have been the same as they would be if he was just – guys are shaking him open with ease, you know, like his, his coverage stats are among the worst in the NFL. So I, I I can see that, you know, they need a, they need a guy, you know, whether next to Jack or they need somebody, you know, maybe even potentially over Jack, if he doesn't play, you know, the next well over the next 11 games. So I, I could see that. I, I think my one point of contention, and I, I do want to continue my bit of look at you, the classic Florida fan putting alum in the top 10. That's, (laughs) That's adorable. Really? Come on. Okay, fine. Five to 15. I digress. That was just a hypothetical. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just messing with you. We, we all know that the Jaguars are good at drafting Florida defensive players, and that normally works out well for them. Yeah, but I, say yeah. <laughs> I, oh man, that's a tough one. Linebacker or corner, man. Because I, I agree with you that linebacker is a big need. And I, I actually think the backup linebackers, you know, Shaquille Corman and Chappelle Russell, Russell have played well. I, I don't think Dakota Allen's played well, but I think Russell and Quarterman have, you know, objectively been, you know, impressive in limited snaps. But I'm not sure you can be, you know, fully confident in either one of them entering the season, you know, as a starter next year. So I could see that. I just I, – I think, you know, Josh Allen, obviously, you know, his PFF grade is good. You know, he's up there in terms of pass rush win, win rate. Uh, you know, over the last three weeks, I think he's sixth in pressures, even though he's only played in two games, etc. But I just I, I feel like they need a true like number one pass rusher who can win one on ones because I'm not sure they have that right now. 
and I, I'm sure they they don't have that right now. They, yeah, okay, yeah, you're, you're more confident than I am. I mean, I I don't think it's a coincidence that when Allen looked his best is when the Jaguars had Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe on the same defensive line, and mm-hmm. you, know, you swap that out for Roy Robinson Harris and Caleb on Chase on. It's it's obvious, you know, the results are going to be, you know, a, a bit worse. So I I think I've, I I'm going to mock them a pass rusher because they're going to pick in the top 10. I'm going to mock them a pass rusher there. Every, like, I'm not going to diverge from that at any point. And if I do, I want you to remember this episode, and I want you to call me out on it. I want you to be as petty as going back and even snap, snagging this audio and tweeting it to the masses because I just cannot imagine a scenario where they pick a cornerback over a pass rusher next year because I feel like when they look at the roster, you know, they can have some confidence in Tyson getting better potentially. They have confidence in Shaq Griffin. What pass rushers do you have confidence in being that guy? In the draft or on the Jaguars? On the Jaguars. In the uh, in, in, yeah, yeah, nobody. In, in the draft, <laughs> I think, in the draft, I think there's at least three guys who are gonna be picked in the top ten who you can call yeah. a potential franchise pass rusher. It's uh George Purdue. I call him that because I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Purdue. <laughs> Isn't it just Thibodeau? No, I'm talking about the the pass rusher for Purdue, George. Oh, oh okay. I might miss it. Kayvon. I thought he turned Thibodeau into Purdue somehow. No, Kayvon Thibodeau. I can, I can, I can say okay, that. Okay, there you go. Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau and then, you know Aiden Hutchinson with Michigan. I feel like right. you take any of those three guys. I feel like that makes your defense significantly better. And yeah, I know a lot of people feel like they have already played themselves out of Thibodeau. I could see him going number one to the Lions, but if not, I mean, if they're picking top five, I think they have a chance at, at, at getting him. Right. No, I think that's a good plan. Edge rusher in the top of round one so that you kind of have your number one guy so then you can allow Allen to be the good number two pass rusher that he is rather than the low end number one. And then Chase on can be the number three guy that actually has time to develop and hopefully turn into something and Make those flashes more consistent. You know, Chanson um, has the best pass rush win rate in the NFL over the last month per PFF. That's right. Yeah, that's right. How many like snaps has he really been playing? That's 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 why he doesn't. He got yeah. He got twelve pass rush snaps against the Dolphins and got three pressures. So you know that's twenty five. You know twenty five percent pressure rate, but you know you get a dozen snaps so that's why but it's it's been amazing to me to see his advanced numbers like or have been solid because he just doesn't play that much i i feel like yeah. being like a like a starting sam linebacker who rotates on third downs i feel like is the best role for him yeah i agree and then smooth has been like quietly one of the best defenders on the jags this year no he has so been. i think i think like with the like top edge rusher in the next class this edge rushing unit goes from like you to eh, well yeah. maybe yeah because it's I like mean, the one gif of the girl kind of turning yeah. her head because <laughs> i mean you take alan smoot and chase on all in their current roles and you're like you know waves hands but you move them all like a spot down the depth chart Just and, one down yeah, yeah and you're like okay that's you know you're, you're cooking with gas here so i think now we got I, something. I, I, I think that and getting an x receiver i'm with you are the two most important things because i you know, whether it's that number one receiver, like a true dominant alpha receiver or not, whether they need that is, you know, kind of a question. But I just think, I, th- I just think they need somebody who can stretch the field in some capacity. You know, they are so slow at receiver. 
So, I mean, uh, no more LeCron Treadwell nine rounds. That's that's, <laughs> that's my motto. Uh, yeah. Guess? For, uh, just for quick on linebacker, like mm-hmm. Damian Wilson is on a one-year deal, so he's might not slash probably won't be on the team next year. I'd be surprised. And then I couldn't tell you anything that Russell has done this year. And then I, I agree that Shaq Corman has flashed a little bit, but at the same time, he's supposed to be like the Wilson mold where he's a plus run defender and a minus pass defender and the latter has been true but while he's like flashed in the run game like he just like he gets lost every once in a while I think it just isn't nearly as consistent as Wilson which is fair to expect but I think I think like Mike linebacker needs to be a lot higher on everyone's wish list for next year I I I agree with that and you know you're right to put it in the top three and it's just it, it like and that's we're not even like taking into account that they have like three expiring contracts on the offensive line. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. That's what I was going to say. That like, yeah. Even though neither of us mentioned it, O-line is definitely yeah. next up. Yeah. So, if I'm them, I bring back Norwell at the, at the very minimum. Would you? Isn't he signed through 2022, though? No, I he think... restructured his deal. Uh, and Spotrack was lying to me earlier today. All yeah. Right. No, he – at least I'm pretty, I'm pretty positive he's uh, through 2021. Yeah. If he's, so, not, Cam, if he's not, I've written it wrong several times. <laughs> but Cam is definitely done after this year. And then Linder is only signed through 2022 as well. So I agree with you that, I mean, the tackles have been kind of the talk of the offensive line the past couple of years just because Cam and John Taylor both haven't really developed as much as we would hope, especially in pass protection. They're both, like, solid in uh, the run game. But, yeah, the, the interior line is going to look probably completely different in three years. It's not yeah. less. Yeah, no, 100%. And I feel like, you know, for as much as people say, you know, Jawan Taylor, you know, people, I guess, aren't, you know, as enthused by him. I truthfully believe if Jaguars fans, you know, watch like, you know, like like this past Sunday was a perfect, you know, way to do it. And this upcoming Sunday, watch the one o'clock games and look at some of the right tackles in the NFL. I, I'd say Jawan is perfectly on that average plateau, but I I do think you can do exponentially worse. Yeah, and he's young and, like, quietly really athletic. And so I think it's fair to hope that he'll just continue to improve. Yeah, he's not a guy, like, you're giving the bag to right now. But he's a guy who I think if he's in your lineup, you can be like, okay. Because, I mean, you can't fill every need in one offseason. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a lot of people online, like, with the Jaguars plans, be like, oh, we'll we'll draft Evan Neal, the tackle of – Alabama and moved him to left tackle and then moved Walker Little to right tackle. And that just makes no sense to me. That would, that would, no, that, yeah, I, I, I don't, I think Walker Little's playing left tackle is not playing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. Gus, last thing, give me a prediction. I don't want a score prediction. I just want win or loss, save your score prediction for the round table. Just give me. Win or loss prediction. Do the Jaguars go into the West Coast and knock off the one, the only Geno Smith this Sunday? <laughs> it's Geno Smith time, says Geno Smith. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no because while I think, I mean, or I know that the Jaguars don't have the secondary to be able to hold up with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I think it's a little bit overblown just because I think Griffin can at least contain Lockett, or I mean uh, Metcalf, even if he can't completely stop him, especially since Griffin is from Seattle. And so 
hypothetically they've had plenty of practices to go against each other last yeah. year. Knows the and then Lockett, Lockett just like isn't the same player without Russell Wilson behind center. So he's still very dangerous, but not as much of a threat. And so I think the key of the game, and I'm probably going to write about this for this edition of this week's edition of Friday Night Logue, is uh, Geno Smith under pressure because when he hasn't been under pressure, he's been legit one of the best quarterbacks in the league, at least statistically. And then when he's been under pressure, he's like, he's looked like uh, Mike Luton or whatever that guy's name is. Jake Luton. <laughs> Jake Luton. You put him and Mike Luton <laughs> together and <into> some awful Frankenstein <laughs> of a quarterback. I didn't realize uh, I didn't. He, so he does look like Mike Luton. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, he he does, and that's that's kind of always been the Geno thing is that dude will take sacks until the cows come home. Like he he will allow himself to get you know wrecked in the pocket. Um, I can I I absolutely detest, don't do it, John. I I detest picking the Jaguars, but I'm I'm going to pick them in the roundtable too. I I just I I think this. I mean, the Seahawks are just as bad of a team as the Jaguars in terms of efficiency. And, you know, really the strength of their offense and defense from a big picture standpoint, at least, you know, in the post-Russell world. So I think if you're looking at two teams, you know, two teams with bad defenses, two teams with so-so offenses, I'm going to go with the team with the better quarterback. And I, I know that's a really, you know, simplistic way to look at it, but it's my podcast and that's uh, that's that's how the cookie crumbles. So I'm, I'm going Jaguars strictly based off Geno Smith has not been, you know, a starting Cowboy quarterback. And I think these this is two bad teams playing against each other. So I'm going to go with the better quarterback in Lawrence. Yeah. I just think that the Jags haven't proved that they can get enough pressure against any team. Yeah. No, they'll they, be able they, to pressure Geno enough to make him make mistakes. I, I, I was going to say their pressure rate, you know, you and I talked about it. Their pressure rate was, you know, after the first two weeks was like top three or four in the NFL. It's, it's yeah. dropped to like below average now. I feel like every round table, I'm like, well, the Jaguars rank blank in pressure rate, but are like worst in sacks. So we'll probably catch up this week and regression, just never does. Regression. I, regression. I like regression, regression. regression. Yeah, yeah. It's always regression. But yeah. I honestly, the main reason I'm not picking the Jags is outside the Geno pressure thing. Just I think Seattle is one of the toughest places to play, especially for a rookie quarterback, even though they are coming off a bye and I, a rookie head coach. So I, that that's kind of the main thing for me. I did tweet that today. Uh, like Daryl Bevel said how – you know, like they're making it really loud at practice for the offense and they're working on nonverbal communication things. I tweeted that out because I'm like, okay, that's a good point. You know, they're playing Seattle. Yeah. That's a tough game for a rookie quarterback. And uh, Dilla, friend of the show, tweeted, Bet someone tell Bevel it's going to be a library. And he posted the StubHub like view of it. <laughs> it, 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 it. Shockingly, Seattle people are not coming out in droves to watch Geno Smith versus the one and five Jaguars. Oh, well, there you go. So we shall see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they come out for the one and five Jaguars instead. <laughs> well, uh, Gus, that's that's all I have. Uh, I feel like I've given uh, enough hot takes. Uh, I, I, and so many of my hot takes prior to this season have backfired horribly on me. So <laughs> I'm going to refrain from any more at this moment. Uh, Gus, you got anything left? Um. I have one more thing. According to Spotrack, DJ Chark's calculated market value, whatever that means, is $11.9 million. So if you were the Jaguars, would you, like assuming that they draft or sign another receiver, not just Chark, but if you were the Jaguars, would you offer Chark a two- to three-year 
contract for 12 million annually. This is going to, uh, I guess I do have a hot take. I don't know if I'd rather have, like, as my fourth receiver, DJ Chark over Jamal Agnew. Okay. That's ridiculous, John. That's too hot. That's a little too volcanic. Just because, I, I would say that. What, no, what has Chark done since 2019? What was that? What has Chark done since a decent run in 2019? And and I, I, I like Chark, but at, at the end of the day, it's been. You know, three out of his four years, he's had like half of a productive season. He's had some pretty cool dance moves for he Noah does. Thomas to put into his videos. That's about it. He does. I, I'm, I'm, I'm finally off the. I, I wouldn't bring. I wouldn't bring Chark back. I, I would agree, or I would bring him back for the cost, depending on cost. But I wouldn't offer him twelve million because I, I understand how you feel. Yeah. But at the same time, like I still think he's he could outplay that contract if things break right for him. I, do so. think, I, I think so too, because, you know, he has a skill set to do it. It's just at, at some point you need to see it happen, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so there you go. I had my hot take. I'd rather have, I would rather have Jamal Agnew as a fourth receiver than DJ Chark in 2022. That was my hot take. <laughs> I think he's been, I, I, I honestly think he's been legit. Like, like just watching his routes against Miami. I know obviously it was a secondary pool of you and Zach Goddalls, but I felt like – Goodall? Yeah. <laughs> Goodall. Goodolphins, yeah. I, 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 I feel like Agnew has been a legitimately good receiver. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just like, for me, I mean, not that Chark has really shown it a lot since he only had that one good year, but I just need to see it a little bit more from Agnew, which I don't doubt that he can, but yeah, we shall 100%. see. 100%. Well – can't say we'll be back next week because I can't say either one of us truthfully <laughs> knows that, but we will be back. Because we don't know if the Jags are going to win. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. We'll, we'll see you all in 2023. Well, I, I predicted a win, so they're going to. But we will True. We will be back. But thank you, as always, for joining Gus and I. Uh, you know, glad to be back. I, I you know, can can truthfully say, Gus, you know, I, I, I missed uh, talking Jaguars football in our, in our banter. So, uh, I'm, and I'm glad that you enjoyed my uh, copium on the Jets receiver talk. <laughs> yeah, the the Jets will surely miss his four receptions this year. I think might have been <laughs> a Hall of Fame line for this entire podcast. When they tweeted, I mean, because uh, I tweeted Mims made the most sense, and they're like, okay, deal, send the second, and you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Manson trades. Like, Love it. He's, he's caught four passes. That's two more than the round pick that you want, dude. <laughs> uh, it's been a good show. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yep. Enjoy as well. Yep. Well, thank you guys as always.